Well, if you have your Bibles, if you'll get it out, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 today, Luke chapter 8. You know, from the moment that you are born, you are immediately thrown into a control cycle. Right after you're born, they begin measuring you and weighing you. Do you know that you have, a baby has their first test before they're even an hour old? That just isn't fair. They don't even have time to study. But they're already taking them through tests before they're even just an hour old. And then as you go into childhood, this battle for control kind of goes back and forth. You have these moments of energy explosions that just kind of come out. And then you have society saying, put all that energy back in. And you say, well, no, I don't want to. It's kind of this back and forth that goes all through childhood. And then as you move into early adulthood, The world begins to open up for you a little bit, and you start seeing many different opportunities and trying to discover your place within the world. And when you're in young adulthood, there's a lot of zeal and exuberance, and you think to yourself, I'm going to make a difference. I I remember whenever I was first entering ministry, I, I thought, you know what, I will eradicate spiritual lostness before I'm 40. The entire world will be saved. And you know, you have this, you have this zeal and this ambition that, that is good. It's not a bad thing. You don't want that to be squelched. But then you begin moving further into adulthood and the realities of life begin to sting. And societal expectations begin to box you in a little bit. And what happens is that we start retreating from our faith, retreating from our zeal, and we start trying to build a controlled fortress for ourselves. Something that's nice and small, something that's okay for you and your family, something that you can manage and see and keep under control. Well, then this feeling moves in. It takes up residence in your living room. It sits in your lazy boy. This feeling of a loss of control. And you begin feeling like the world around you is a little bit out of control and there's nothing that you can really do. You feel like people that are above you or people that are beyond you have tried to put your life on auto control. And so what you begin to do in your little control bunker is you find a few things or a few people that you like And you try to live out your days, making sure that no one invades and no one exploits your fears. Well, today, Jesus meets a man whose life was totally out of control. If you look at Luke chapter 8 and verse 26, the Bible says, Then they sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. And when he got out on land... A demon-possessed man from the town met him, and for a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. Now you say, Lash, is there such a thing as demon possession? The answer to that is yes. Over and over you find Jesus running into situations where the Bible talks about someone being possessed by a demon. In the Christian life, whenever someone believes in Christ, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, and you are also, uh, you become a, a place of indwelling for the Holy Spirit. You may not have realized this, but when you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit 
indwells within you. He becomes your counselor, your guide. He directs you through life's paths. And so we talk about being filled with the Spirit. Whenever your mind and your soul is in alignment with the will of God so that you are controlled by God's Holy Spirit. Well, the opposite of being filled with the Spirit would be to be filled with a demonic spirit. You see, when you rebel against God, whenever you turn to your own ways, whenever you go directly away from God, rather than being filled or indwelled by God's Spirit, you could be indwelled by evil spirit, and literally all areas of your life become controlled by Satan. 1 Peter chapter 5 says that we are to be serious. We are to be on alert because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. You ever seen those Nat Geo moments where the lion's in the, in the, in the brush waiting to pounce? Peter says that's how Satan is, and he's looking for anyone he can devour. This man had gone so far away from God that he was possessed by evil. Now notice what evil had cost this man. It had cost him community. He had lost his home. He didn't have a family. He didn't have a house to live in. No community. He lived amongst the tombs. His friends and his family were the dead and dying. It had cost him his decency. The Bible says that he was running around naked and that this had been going on for some time. Human sexuality was created by God. It was given meaning to us by God. Human sexuality is supposed to glorify the Creator. That intimate relationship is to be enjoyed by a husband and wife within marriage. I often call it a private renewal of your public vows. It is to be the height of human intimacy. It's also to have vulnerability about it. Because you bring nothing to the event. It's one natural act, the one natural act in all of humanity that is capable of naturally producing human life. Evil distorts sexuality. Evil changes it so that instead of glorifying God and the beauty of His creation, evil distorts it so that it glorifies me and the power of my appeal. Instead of God defining its meaning, I define its meaning. Evil distorts sexuality so that you can make it into whatever you want to make it. It becomes fluid. Gender's fluid. Sexuality's fluid. Everything becomes fluid. Instead of something that is to be enjoyed by a husband and wife within marriage, that private renewal, it is to be shared with anyone you want. Evil distorts. Evil turns things into a public display with empty meaning. Instead of the height of human intimacy and vulnerability, it becomes just another empty drink in our intoxicated pursuit of pleasure. Evil 
always distorts. And when sexuality is controlled by evil, instead of creating human life, it destroys human life. This man had lost his decency. Thirdly, we see that he had lost his sanity. The other Gospels tell us that he was running around, he was cutting himself, he was screaming in the night air, he would wake people up. I mean, literally, he was frightening all the citizens. You say, Lash, but this guy was free. He was the master of his fate, the captain of his soul. No one was telling him what to do. No one was controlling him. He was doing whatever he pleased. No, this guy was sad. He was empty. He was a shell of a man. He had been prostituted by evil. Everything of honor, everything of value had been taken from him. And evil had lied to him all along the way. And now evil was laughing at his pain as he lived tormented among the graves. This guy had nothing. He was empty. But when he saw Jesus, verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. Now think about this. Here is this maniac of an individual, but whenever he sees Jesus, he cries out and he falls down before him, and he says in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, you son of the Most High God? Even the demons know who Jesus is. And whenever Jesus got off the boat, he falls down before Jesus, and he says, What do you have to do with me? What are you going to do with me? me. Nobody else knows what to do with me. Jesus, what are you going to do with me? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times, now notice what was happening to him, many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, He would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into the deserted place. Society was trying to control this man. They were trying to make sure that he didn't harm anybody. They would guard him. They would shackle him. They would try to keep him under control. But no one could control him. So he comes to Jesus. What are you going to do with me? How are you going to help me? Are you going to torment me some more? In the Christian life, losing control is actually not a bad thing. It's it's a good thing. Losing control in the Christian life means this. I yield control from me to God. Instead of me being in the God role, I understand that I am the wretch that has been saved by grace. And my chains are gone because of the grace of God. And so I yield control of my life to God, and God calls me to move from self-reliance to God-reliance. God calls me to move from fear. Are you in the grip of fear today? Well, 1 John says, perfect love casts out fear. And so God moves us from fear to love. God drains the anxiety Are you anxious today? 
worried. Whenever we move from self-reliance to God-reliance, God begins to drain the anxiety and He begins to fill us with the antidote, faith and trust. And so we're able to move from out of control to a life of purpose and meaning. You see, Jesus had shown throughout this chapter that He has things under control. Remember last week, Jesus stood up in the boat and He calmed the Doppler red storm? It shows that Jesus has control over creation. And here we see that Jesus is greater than the power of evil. When we get to the resurrection story, we see that Jesus has control over life and death. And His grace and mercy can calm the torment within you. So here's a man standing in front of Jesus who has nothing to bring. No money. Where would he keep it? Sorry. No home. No skills. No philosophy. No well-made clothes. No good hygiene. He has nothing to bring. All he could bring to Jesus were the sins of his past and the emptiness of his present. In other words, he was in the perfect place to meet Jesus. He had nothing to bring, no self-righteousness, no monetary gifts, no look-at-me's. All he could bring to Jesus were the sins of his past and the torment of his present. The perfect place to meet Jesus. So Jesus looks at him and says, what is your name? What is your name? Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him and they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. A Roman legion could be as many as 6,000 men. And so this man had a legion of demons that had possessed him. And he, these demons began to beg Jesus not to banish them to the abyss. Well, a large herd of pigs was there feeding from the hillside. And the demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs. And he gave them permission. So the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Well, that was an event to be a part of, wasn't it? Can you imagine seeing that happen? Can you imagine what people must have reacted like? Can you imagine how long it had been since this man had experienced love? Since someone had been kind to him, you see, Jesus didn't see him as an animal. Jesus saw him as a person. And he asked him, what is your name? Go back. Whenever you were born and you were laid in your mother's arms, and she looked at you in your innocence, before any of this had happened, and you were a little baby, she gave you a name. 
She chose a name for you. What is your name? Tell me about yourself. You see, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And he didn't yell at him. He talked to him. He met him at his point of need. He didn't say, you need to be here. He took him where he was and brought him to where he needed to be. And he discovered that this man that everybody was afraid of was a tormented man. Under a control, under control of a legion of demons. And when the man bowed to Jesus, Jesus took control. Now make sure you don't miss that. When the man bowed to Jesus, Jesus took control. He freed the man from his demons. I believe he redeemed the man of his sins. And thirdly, Jesus was so gracious, he created a reason for everyone to throw a barbecue. Because there were a lot of cheap ribs that everybody could have. You know, you would think it would be a big celebration there in the city. But instead, if you look at verse 34, when the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. And then people went out to see what had happened. So they're all looking at the cliff and looking at the situation, looking for the man. And they came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet. Now notice the change. He was dressed and in his right mind. Now what was their reaction? And they were afraid. They were afraid. We have our nice little community here. We have our flocks. We have our school. We have our family. We have our nice little safe, controlled community. And here comes Jesus into our community. He's freeing people from evil. He's doing all sorts of things. And they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them, how the demon-possessed man was delivered, and then all the people of the Gerizim region, this will blow you away, asked him to leave. Now the him here is not the demon-possessed man. They asked God to leave. Why? Because they were afraid. God, don't invade my home. Don't invade my community. Don't do a great supernatural work here. It might cost me something. It'll change me. I'm scared. So they asked him to leave because they were gripped by great fear. So... Getting into the boat, he returned. Can you relate to the townspeople? Can you relate to them at all? Are you living your life gripped by fear? 
You see, you remember those days when you had the zeal and the ambition? You were ready to find your place in the world and do whatever God has called you to? But then reality stung, and so you retreated. And you thought to yourself, if I can make it small, then I can make it safe. And so you began to whittle down your life to a point where it was under control. But the more you whittled it down, the more that nagging feeling took up residence. It's out of control. It's out of control. I can't do anything about it. And so you've sought to find joy in taking care of the herd of pigs. But God calls you to more. He calls you to move from self-reliance to God-reliance. He calls you to take that step of faith. And when you do, an entirely new world opens up. And guess what? God's in control of it all. You can trust Him. Nobody ever reaches the end of life and says, I just trusted God too much. If I could do it all over again, I would trust God less and trust myself more. Nobody ever says that. You can trust God. He has control over it. Live your life in faith. When you get worried, pray. Cast your eyes upon Him. Glance at the problem. Gaze at your God. Take that risk. Take that step of faith. And allow God to use your life in ways that you can't even imagine. You say, Lash, what, what happened to the demon-possessed man? Well, if you look at verse 38, the man from whom the demons had departed kept begging him to be with him. This man, he wanted to be with Jesus. And so he kept coming to Jesus, begging him, Jesus, I, I want to be one of the twelve. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Have this maniac as <laughs> part of the twelve. I want to go wherever you go, Jesus. Well, there's something to be said here. Whenever God sets you free, when God redeems you, you want to be with Jesus. You want to sit at his feet. You want to put clothes on. You want to be with Jesus when he redeems you. And so he was begging Jesus, Jesus, I just want to be with you. But Jesus sent him away. Now, why would Jesus send him away? Because Jesus had a mission for him. And notice what Jesus' mission was in verse 39. Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town all that Jesus had done for him. This man that had no purpose for his life. This man who terrorized the community. This man that others looked at as an animal. He had been gloriously saved by Jesus. He wanted to be a part of what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus brought a mission and a purpose to his life. His purpose was to go into his town. The town that asked Jesus to leave. And proclaim the good news. To be the witness. To share. I once was lost. But now I'm saved. This is my life mission. To share the good news. Of Jesus Christ. I want you to know something today. 
God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose. And you're not going to find it running from Him. You're not going to find it trying to be God of your own life. And if you'd be really honest, if you're running from God, it's not working. It's not working out for you. You're bored. You're anxious. You're connected to a thousand people at all times, and yet you feel lonely. Because when you run from God, it leads to emptiness. It leads you away from the divine purpose for your life. So today, today may be the day that you need to lose control. Move from self-reliance to God-reliance. And it could be in somebody's life. Today is the day when you bow before Jesus and you embrace Him as Savior and Lord. Would you be so gracious as to bow your heads with me, please, at this time? We come to a time of commitment. The band come and lead us in a song here in a few moments. But before they do, I just want to ask you this question. With your head bowed right where you're seated, I want to ask you this first question. Are you at a point in your life where you need to move from self-reliance to God-reliance? If that's where you are today, I would just ask you to yield control right here in this service to God. Now let me ask another question. Is today the day that you need to be saved? You've never taken that initial step of faith where you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If that's where you are today, if this is your moment, I would invite you to call out to God. Just call out to God right where you're sitting and say something like this, God, I am a sinner. I have nothing to bring to you but myself. And I bow before you, trusting in Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. I ask for forgiveness. I ask that you will change me from the inside out so that I might live for you. I ask for this to be my day of salvation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our heads are still bowed throughout the room. If today was your moment where you embraced Christ as Savior and Lord, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to know. And so I would just ask you to look up at me until I can make eye contact and let me know. Today was my moment where I received Christ as my Savior and Lord. Today was my moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in hearts today. And Lord, I pray for those that come to know you as Savior today, that you will help them to take the next step. Help them to be baptized. Help them, Lord, to grow in their walk with you. And to become individuals that find their purpose and meaning within you. I pray, Father, for those of us who get consumed and in the grip of fear, I pray, Lord, that you might drain fear from our soul and instead fill us with faith and help us know that there is a reason why you've put us right here to serve you faithfully. And may we do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. As we stand to our feet, as the choir leads.